Hello, world. You know, I feel like I've earned the right to say that now, because somehow, someway, correct me if I'm wrong, has found its way over to Belgium. Yeah, that's right. Belgium equals the highest number of downloads for any other location in the world for this podcast. But part of me isn't sure if that's a good thing or not, because it kind of means all you guys over here in the U.S. are letting me down. You know, Brooklyn, Seattle, my entire home state of Ohio. I need you guys to step it up. Just start stealing people's phones on the bus or at work and start downloading episodes. You know, tell your grandma about it, put it on repeat so she can't figure out how to stop it and boost those numbers. If we all do our part in this, the odds of me being able to take over the world go up significantly. So let's get it done, guys. We can do this. Have faith and I'm ready. It's time. But, um... You know, I'm just here enjoying the uh, the beginning of my Memorial Day weekend, and I'm feeling real good about it. I live for three-day weekends because there's nothing I love more in this world than not having to go to work. Call me lazy because I think I just might be, but I know I'm not alone in this. Someone out there should do a study to find out how many other people would never go back to their job again if they didn't have to. And I feel like even if people loved their jobs, they might not go back still. You know, if the opportunity presented itself to never work again, call me crazy, but I'm not showing up. I mean, I'll I'll still do the podcast, but nine to five. No, thanks. Anyways, um, enough work slander. Let's just jump into my, my rose button thorn. My rose for this week was uh, having a, a dominant performance at bowling. Um, I went and did some birthday bowling this week. But first off, I want to say that I miss the uh, the old bowling alleys from when I was growing up. The ones where you showed up, they were filled with so much smoke that it looked like there was a brush fire happening in there. And there was just a bunch of like really drunk guys from the bowling league yelling at each other and like spilling pitchers of beer. I don't know what it is about bowling alleys, but it's like you can only get drinks in pitchers. Like everyone in there just has pitchers. But um yeah, those those were the the good old days of the bowling alleys. It still blows my mind that that was always a favorite location for my school to take like little kids for end of the year parties or field trips and stuff like that. I remember they would never let us eat the food there, though, and I have no idea what that's about, but it must have been something super concerning if we had to like bring our own pizza instead of just ordering it from the bowling alley. But bowling places now, in Seattle at least, are just full of tech bros that rented out like 85% of the lanes for a company party, so you get put on a wait list just to go bowling and waiting for like an hour. Um, and it, it kind of bums me out that these guys somehow know how to code and build all of the apps and programs that we use, but they can't be creative enough to come up with a company party that doesn't just mirror a fifth grade class trip. It really does blow my mind. So, um, I haven't been bowling in over a year, but, um, I'm overly competitive about literally everything. So I made it my mission to win. That's right. I went to a birthday party and my sole purpose there was to win at bowling. No offense to my friends, um, but the competition wasn't super stiff. My roommate was sticking with me a little bit through the first like five or six frames, but your boy always finishes strong and came out on top every single game. I'm not going to say what my actual scores were because it makes it way less impressive and I refuse to let anything take away from this victory. Um, But unfortunately, there was a a dark side to bowling that I'll I'll get to from my thorn. So yeah, nothing's free. For my bud, this week, looking forward to this long weekend is literally the only thing that got me through this week. I got kicked in the head by the kid that I work with on Monday. 
And I am convinced that that's the absolute worst way to start your work week is to show up to work on Monday, be going through your day, and then someone just randomly kicks you in the head. Like, good week, get good luck getting through the rest of your week after that happens. But thankfully, I have Memorial Day weekend to look forward to. Um, but it's I swear it's a blessing and a curse when you have a long weekend coming up because like the week leading into it just takes twice as long to get through or like a bunch of little obnoxious things just keep happening that just drag out the week like this week there was 10 different things that made me seriously consider quitting um but and you know i can't and then also like i found out my supervisor is going on paternity leave for the rest of of the school year which doesn't make any sense to me because i'm pretty sure his kid isn't even that young and there's only like three weeks left before we're out for the summer so i i don't know how he swindled this i mean good on him he's just gonna be getting like a paid early summer but um i know this has nothing to do with my bud but i just really needed to process this confusion out loud and you know plant the seed for how i'm gonna find a way to get paternity leave without having a child. So if anyone's got ideas, throw them at me. I'm, I'm here and I'm ready. My thorn told you it was coming back to bowling. So like I said, really trying to win, like doing it all. And so that looked like me picking up the, the heaviest balls available and rolling them as hard as I could. But the problem is that I am so horribly out of shape easily the most out of shape I have ever been in my life. So after bowling, I woke up the next day feeling like I had just gotten hit by a bus after completing the Boston Marathon. I genuinely cannot believe how sore I was after like an hour and a half, two hours of, bo of bowling. It was one of those life-defining moments where I felt like I needed to travel back in time to tell 20 year old Greg to take staying in shape a little bit more seriously or else you're going to almost die from bowling in your late twenties, not even anything that bad, but here we are. And as I'm recording this, like sitting here right now, my left butt cheek and left hip still feel like Aaron judge smacked me with a home run swing. I'm just like shifting everywhere. It's so uncomfortable. I need a new chair, but I don't know. Some would say I need to focus more on my, my bowling fundamentals in my form. But let me remind you, I was still the winner. So I just consider my style a little bit unorthodox. And if you got anything to say about that, I'm accepting challenges from anyone and everyone. So hit me up and loser buys the ibuprofen. But that's it. That's what I got. Rosebud and Thorn. Wild week, guys. Kicked in the head. Bowling. Long weekends. Man. I'm just living the most interesting life I know. But let's get into this history stuff. Um, I got some some pretty pretty interesting stuff, I feel like, for this week. So I chose uh, May 24th for our day in history. And I picked it because I love connecting anything and everything back to Wavy Pack. And on this day in history, May 24, 1883, the Brooklyn Bridge opened, baby. And the Wavy Pack was born and bred in Brooklyn. And if the Brooklyn Bridge never opened, my guy Max would have no way. Well, I guess it would be a way, but it would have been way more difficult for him getting into the city. So if anyone should be thankful for the Brooklyn Bridge, it's Max. Um, no, I'm just kidding. I don't even know if he takes the Brooklyn Bridge, but, you know, I don't go to New York a lot, and I just assume, like, literally everyone there is driving on it. So, New York, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think everyone drives on the Brooklyn Bridge seven times a day there. <laughs> but there isn't anything, like, super interesting to say about the Brooklyn Bridge. Sorry if that's, like, your favorite monument or bridge or whatever. So, I thought I would just talk about some of the longest bridges in the United States, because I know this is information everyone is very interested in having. 
So this kind of popped into my mind after reading about the Brooklyn Bridge because I was super scared of bridges as a kid because growing up in Ohio, you don't really run into a lot of big bridges. But apparently people in Louisiana do not have that problem at all because the top three longest bridges in our fine country are all in Louisiana. Now, I was going to do a top 10 for this, but that just really felt like a lot of bridges to go over. And like I said before, there's not a whole lot you can say about bridges. And I think, here, let me pull it back up. That's four, four of the top 10 longest bridges are in Louisiana. Five of the top 10 bridges are in Louisiana. And that just felt like a lot of airtime to give to Louisiana. So I boiled it down to the three longest. Um, and before I did my research on this, my guesses for the longest bridge over water, yeah, I gotta specify over water, um, I would have guessed like maybe five miles long because that seems super far for me. There's like, there's a bridge here in Seattle, the 520 bridge. It's like two and a half miles long. And every time I'm driving over that, I'm like, this bridge, this is a huge bridge. Um, but boy, was I wrong. <laughs> uh, the number three bridge is ooh, in people from Louisiana. I'm sorry. I'm about to butcher all these names, but the, Achafalia Basin Bridge. I know that's so wrong. Um, you know, somebody let me know if anyone actually knows. Maybe no one knows how to pronounce that. But it was built in 1973 and it comes in at 18 miles long. That's further than I've ever traveled on foot in one time ever. That's probably 18 miles. That's probably further than I typically drive like at one time during my week. So, oh, I should have looked up how long it, it takes to drive across it, but hey, somebody else can do that. Help me do some of that footwork, folks. Look up how long it takes to drive across these bridge, bridges and let me know. But um, apparently they had a lot of trouble building this bridge because it runs through just a giant bog, which can't be good for building. And there was a bunch of concerns about flooding, but they ended up getting it done. So you no longer have to trek your way through the swamp like Frodo and Sam. So anyone that lives in that area, you should be super thankful for this bridge. I, I know I am. The number two bridge is the Monchock Swamp Bridge, of course, also in Louisiana, built in 1979 and coming in at 23 miles. That's far. I don't know. I don't know how far you guys drive in a day, but that's far. And I guess apparently the 70s must have been the bridge building boom era for Louisiana because they were just out here tossing up super long bridges. But uh, the, the Manchock Swamp Bridge, again, I don't know if I'm saying that right, fingers crossed, is one of the longest bridges over water in the entire world, actually. And a lot of people, when I say a lot of people, I'm assuming it was a lot of people in Louisiana, um, say it's, oh no, that that's the next bridge is the one that they claim is the longest in the world. Whoops. But uh, this one's the longest toll-free bridge worldwide. So if you want to get a nice free drive across a bridge, this is the one to go to. Is this completely accurate? Who knows? I'm, I'm probably never going to go there and drive this bridge, so I will never find out. Um, a lot of the locals there, they say, oh, this is what the locals say about this one. They say that the swamp is cursed. They say it's cursed and haunted. So maybe that's why there's no toll. People don't want to pay to just go and get haunted. So they made it free. They were like, you can travel at your own risk. You might become possessed by a ghost, but at least it's free. It was also super crazy expensive to build, costing $7 million per mile. Yes, I did the math. That is $161 million to truck right through a cursed swamp. So apparently Louisiana's just got that bridge money because that's, I mean, I, again, I have no idea what it costs to build and put in infrastructure, but that seems like a crazy high amount of money. 
Number one, the moment we've all been waiting for. Another long, difficult to pronounce name. So this one, <clears throat> the Lake Pontchartrain Causeway. It doesn't sound that hard to say because I'm surely just saying it wrong, but Pontchartrain Causeway. Close enough. Built in 1956 and coming in at just one mile longer, 24 miles, 24 miles long. It's considered, here we go, the longest bridge over water in the world. That's right. For the first time ever, Louisiana has the biggest, best, whatever, anything in the world. But when you're at the top, people are always going to be coming for your crown. So it's actually hotly contested by the Chinese claiming that they have a bridge over water that's actually longer. So somebody needs to bust out the measuring tape and settle this once and for all. Because this is, the world is hanging on. We need to know who has the longest bridge over water. You know, forget military size or GDP, economy, forget all that. Who has the longest bridge? We gotta know. Luckily this one, way more cheaper than that other one, it only cost $46 million to build, which sounds like a steal, considering the other one was $161 million. So, I don't know what was going on, inflation, blah blah blah, who knows. But, Louisiana, out here doing the bridges. Shout out Louisiana, and keep up the great work. You know, we appreciate you. Go build another long bridge. Bum China out even more. We can make fun of them for their short little bridges. They'll love it. Um, I'm just kidding. I don't want to say anything bad about China. Actually, I mean, whatever. They probably don't even let my podcast be over there. But anyways, that wraps it up for um, all of this riveting bridge talk. But don't worry. But wait, there's more. Man. I would love to do some infomercials. I think, you know, forget podcasting. I think it's time for a hard pivot. I'm I'm going to go get into late night infomercials. That's my new dream. Thank you, everyone, for helping me realize it. I'm just kidding. But actually, I'll do it. Um. Anyways, second little tidbit for this day comes from May 24th, 1973, when the U.S. detonated... Two nuclear bombs in the Nevada desert. I actually have the names of these bombs. The Kashan and the Cabresto were detonated on May 24th, 1973, only an hour apart. Which, if you ask me, it kind of sounds like there's not a whole lot of research that can really be happening there. It just kind of sounds like they were having fun blowing stuff up, which I'm all for, but I mean, maybe like stagger them out a little bit so you can, you know, hide behind the mask of research a little more. But when I read this, I was totally baffled because I was under the impression that the U.S. maybe tested like 10 or 15 nukes over the years. I don't know why. I thought that, but that's that's what I thought. Um, again, I was totally wrong. Just like bridge length, number of nukes tested, I was way off. If those were, you know, questions on the prices, right? I'm losing. I'm not getting my my shot at glory. Um, but as I like to do when I'm wrong, I like to look up the actual numbers. So here we go. Since the birth of nuclear weapons, the U.S. has actually tested 1,030 nuclear bombs. That's right, over a thousand nukes we've just blown up places. Apparently, even in the 70s, it was so common that it became like a tourist attraction in Vegas because you could see the mushroom clouds from the city. So, like, the government's just out in the desert blowing up nukes, and people are just, like, on the Vegas Strip, like, clapping and cheering and watching these nukes go off. I'm not going to lie. I would absolutely go to Vegas to see that. I mean, or maybe it would just be really terrifying. I 
Either way, I'm there for it. But reading about this really put into perspective for me how much the U.S. loves nukes. I mean, like I said, we've tested 1,030 of them since the 40s. And, uh, and you know, where I found this information, they were uh, very clear that this does not count the two nukes that we dropped on Japan. I, I don't know why that distinction is important, um, but it is to this website. But like I said, 1,030 nukes. During that time, the rest of the world has tested 1,026. Sometimes being at the top isn't always a good thing. Especially when it comes to nukes. But what do I know? Um, Russia, though. Russia was up there, of course. You know, the Cold War. We were just stacking bombs. Uh, but they only tested 715 during this time. But I, I'm pretty sure they were going after size instead of quantity. Uh, at one point, they actually wanted to detonate a nuke that they built. But the, the scientist who engineered it refused to do it because he said it was so big, it could throw the earth off of its it's, it's axis. Like basically I, that would be bad. I can't explain to you exactly how it would be bad, but I know it would be bad. So remember kids don't play with nukes, especially the really big ones because it could throw the earth into even more chaos. But overall only eight countries have conducted nuclear tests. So, I mean, maybe that makes the U.S. look a little bigger or a little better after our massive test numbers, but actually, no, I think that might make it worse. But anyways, only eight countries have, have conducted nuclear tests, that being the U.S., Russia, the U.K., France, China, India, Pakistan, and then, of course, North Korea. But oddly enough, one other country has nukes without actually doing any tests. Israel. Mm-hmm. Because Uncle Sam was kind enough to just gift them some. I don't know about you, but that feels like a whole lot of responsibility to put on a nation that is constantly involved in conflicts. But hey, what do I know? Maybe. I mean, so far, they've been completely responsible. Only time will tell. Luckily for us, though, the whole world, minus North Korea, agreed to stop conducting, like, in-person nuclear, or not in-person, but real nuclear tests. Like, we're no longer just detonating nukes under the water or in the desert. We do them digitally now. Because, obviously, it's not super great to just be spraying radiation into the air, the atmosphere, and everywhere. So there hasn't been any actual tests taken since the 90s, of course, aside from uh, North Korea. Actually, let me double check that. I feel like there was somebody else that's done some. Oh, no. It's looking like it is just North Korea. Yep, North Korea in 2006, 2009, 2013. Oh, okay, so North Korea has been doing a lot, but, you know, they don't always um, follow the, the advice or the example of other countries. So, yeah, that's not a surprise. But, I mean, there's been, um, you know, progress throughout this field, you could say, because they used to just, like, blow them up in the air, which was really bad because Fallout was just, like, going everywhere and they're like oh man can't be doing that so then they started just blowing them up underground which doesn't seem all that much better but i guess you know progress is progress and in the 90s when um you know countries were coming to all these agreements about how to handle nukes like the the defense companies and like the physicists that were building them were like super bummed they're like we're not gonna get to play with our giant fireballs anymore and I'm not gonna lie, I get it. I understand, like you're used to going out in the desert 
and seen the biggest explosions in the world and then everyone's like nope you gotta do it on a computer from now on that'd be a bummer but you know nukes haven't gone anywhere we're not using them but uh you know i'm i'm sure we'll get there <laughs> there's you know always something to look forward to right just kidding i don't nuke anybody but um i don't have any any life updates as far as the saga of my apartment uh still not fixed um i got the paperwork for my ticket so i gotta get ready for court um you know i'm basically i'm gonna be the dude from suits i'm gonna be in there hardballing just kidding i think i just have to write a statement and i don't even go to court it's gonna be super super underwhelming and super uneventful but i'm excited to get that out of the way um oh yeah we gotta get in the uh the plugs get over to wavy pack i know you know a lot of people hit me up asking where where they can find the podcast or whatever uh always on wavy pack always uh always a direct link on there it's embedded on the site you can listen right there um or on spotify y'all y'all can find it or i mean if not hit me up and i literally have the link copied and saved i can send it to you in like two seconds or anyone else you think your grandma would like the pod send me her number let me get them digits i promise i'll only send the link unless she hits me back you know i might say what's up but anyways let's just get into it my rose button thorn um I guess, you know, we always start with the rose, so we'll do the rose. Um, this is going to sound a little bit like a cop-out, because it is, but my rose this week has been... Oh, excuse me. Has been that the weather... The weather's been good again. It's finally starting to feel a little bit like a Seattle summer. Or the beginning of summer. Um, there hasn't been nearly as much rain. I've been able to walk to work which is great because if I don't walk, I take the bus and anyone that lives in a large city knows the bus is a place you don't want to spend a whole lot of time. So, you know, I, I get that exercise in, I walk. Um, I think the fact that I call it exercise now is a testament to how out of shape I am. Like, I don't, not like, oh, I gotta go work out. It's like, man, I need to, I need to exercise. My, my doctor said I need to exercise. Um, so, you know, not even really a break in a sweat. I mean, some days I do a little bit of a hill, but it's nice. It feels good to, to get the body moving a little bit in the morning, wakes me up a little bit. So if you can, you also walk to work or, you know, maybe that'd just be a great excuse to be super late. Walk your 12 miles to work. Um, but also the nice weather has allowed me to do more fishing. I've actually been catching fish, which is... You know, I mean, that's the whole point of fishing. So that's been significantly more enjoyable because of the weather. Um, and I know this uh, this is a bad rose. This is a wilting, not great rose. Because if I'm being completely honest, uh, this week has been pretty, pretty mediocre. Um, I actually got kicked in the head today at work. And, you know, might even be slightly concussed. Will we ever know? Absolutely not, because I don't really go to the doctor. But it was hard. Uh, it was hard to come up with the best thing about my week when a 15-year-old boy just kicked me square in the head. Um, but I don't want to get into that, because I don't want to get in trouble with work or anything. So, moving on to my bud. This is always my bud for this time of year. And that is the first round of the NBA playoffs is upon us. It's here. And I'm so excited because the first round means that there are multiple games every day. So it's it's almost like March Madness. Not quite as much basketball, but it's really like as much NBA as you can consume in one day. You know, you got two or three games every day. And sure the first round matchups can be somewhat underwhelming sometimes so i usually prefer the second round matchups just because you you know you know a little more about what's going on the stakes are higher but just the sheer volume of first round basketball is great 
Unfortunately, my, my Celtics are matched up against the Nets and things aren't looking good. But hey, um, I gotta stay positive because I barely even had a rose, so I really gotta hold on to this bud and pray that playoff basketball can boost my mood and for sure make my concussion worse because I'm just gonna sit and stare at a screen, uh, a TV screen while I also stare at the smaller screen on my phone. But no, I'm pumped, I'm excited. Um, me and Cam actually just did all of our, our playoff predictions for the first round, so that's gonna be going up soon with uh, the wave this week, so go check that out. If you haven't gotten enough of me yet, there's always more. There's always more Greg to be had, but that's it. That's it for the Rose, the Bud. But y'all know, I always got some good thorns. Now, this week's thorn, it was, it was quite an ordeal um, because the thorn was me going to get my my first dose of the COVID-19 vaccine and it was an absolutely awful experience. But don't, don't let this deter you from going and getting the actual shot. No one likes an anti-vaxxer. Even anti-vaxxers don't like other anti-vaxxers. For some weird reason, they're like in competition to see who can be less vaccinated. So, I mean, I guess you could just say they're racing towards death and see who can get there first, but just go get your shot. Overall, overall, I can say it wasn't that bad, but for me, um, it is. There, there's really, you know, the main reason I got the shot even is, well, I, I guess there's not really a I did it because I'm supposed to. You're supposed to go get your vaccine, guys, but... <laughs> The biggest reason I got it is because even if for some reason in five years, all these anti-vaxxers are right and the vaccine does end up killing everyone that got it, I don't think I want to be left alone on this planet with just that group of people. So I figured, you know what, I'm going to go get the shot and I'm going to go down with all the people that I actually like to spend time with. Instead of all the nut job conspiracy theorists that I don't, that who know, I don't even know what they think anymore. I can't keep up, but go get your vaccines, people. Um, but mostly why it was so hard for me is because I do really, really bad with shots or with needles. It's a coin toss on whether or not I'm going to pass out every single time I go and get a vaccine or not a vaccine, any shot, anything with a needle, blood drawn anything. I used to volunteer at the VA hospital when I was in college and I had to do some, some shots and stuff when I was uh, like signing up and then included a TB test for uh, tuberculosis. And if you're not familiar with a TB test, they basically like inject this little ball of liquid into your forearm. And then you come back a few days later and they can, they can tell whether or not you have TB based on you know, how your body reacts and they look at this little blob of fluid in your arm and they can tell. I don't totally get it, but that's what they do. So the lady that was doing the TB test is obviously not qualified to be doing this. It was just like a receptionist in like jeans and a Harley Davidson t-shirt and I, like I said, don't do well with needles. So that like intensified my anxiety by a billion. Um, and so I'm watching her do it, which I definitely shouldn't have been doing, but Hey, I I'm an idiot. And I just, I needed to see, cause I was worried. I didn't know what this woman was going to do. Um, and of course I was right. She messes it up. She doesn't go deep enough into my skin or whatever. And the bubble on my arm actually pops. It just like erupts like an enormous zit on my arm. And there's just like fluidy, bloody, whatever coming out of my, my arm. And I just immediately lost consciousness, just lights out on the ground. I wake up to this, you know, super unqualified woman that just gave me the shot and two other veterans literally just standing over me laughing. They're like making fun of me 
and they just gave me a bottle of water and they were like drink this before we try again on the other arm and i was like okay and we did it and i didn't have tuberculosis because like who's just walking around with tuberculosis but man those military people they're a different breed that was a wild wild experience um anyways back to my terrible covid experience because yeah shots um and i actually got mine at the microsoft office which is painfully ironic to me considering all the microchip talk that's been floating around um but don't worry i'm not like super compelled to buy microsoft office products i can't hear bill gates in my head nothing weird yet um i think it actually like made me feel better doing it in just like a conference center because it i don't know it just i felt more at ease than i would at like a dark cold doctor's office but it was pretty strange seeing like 200 people in line to get shots and just being in this like huge open facility of just like needles in and out of arms, just leading the, the sheep to slaughter. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. But um, by the time I like get to the front, I probably only waited for like 15 or 20 minutes, but my anxiety was through the roof. And when you're going through, you just have to like, you have to confirm your identity like multiple times. Um, and so I, well, I guess you don't really, they tell you, you have to, but like, I forgot my wallet and all I had was the confirmation email. And they were like, that's totally fine. Just give us your name, date of birth. So, like I did that at the door and then I get all the way up. I'm like talking to the nurse that's giving it to me. And then like the volunteer worker who like fills out my card and everything. And they asked me to like confirm one final time and i was so nervous i like couldn't even talk so they're like what's your name i'm like greg and they're like what's your birthday and i just gave them the completely wrong birthday it was just some random date i don't even know what it was i just said it and the nurse looked at me like super confused and i was just like i, I know that's wrong but i'm really nervous and i pass out a lot and then they just gave me the shot without actually confirming my identity so there's no excuse to not get it. Anyone can go. Um, <laughs> literally, you can say any birthday. They'll give it to you. But, um, you know, everyone said the shot wouldn't hurt. And that was true. I didn't actually, like, feel the needle, which was good. But I definitely felt when they injected the vaccine. Like, that bo bad boy stung going in. But I managed to get through. And I'm, I'm being dramatic again. Because, like I said, I hate needles. It stresses me out but you know i got through it it wasn't that bad it hurt a little bit um i mean i mean i managed to get through it without passing out so that's a big win but it's a uh, you know never celebrate too early because there is a second dose and like i said it's a coin coin flip so we'll see you know we'll just we'll, we'll you know we'll go head on we'll see how next time goes but um Overall, I feel fine. My arm is a little bit sore, but nothing crazy. Just a, uh, you know, another day in the life of this COVID existence. But that's, you know, that's it for my my rose bud and thorn, or really like my my thorn thorn and bud, because it's been a week. But you know, we're hanging in there. I'm sticking it out. So that brings us to history time. A little bit of a, a little history lesson for everybody. So for this day in history, I picked May 22nd. And I, I did this very um, intentionally because <clears throat> there's a, an important date with, I mean, not one of his most important dates, but there was a Muhammad Ali date. And Muhammad Ali is my absolute favorite athlete so i wanted to be able to get into him but there was also a very very interesting little um other historical tidbit on this day that i happened to find on the florida history network floridahistorynetwork.com and if it's coming from florida you know it's going to be absolutely ridiculous and fantastic so those are the two reasons i picked may 
22nd. Muhammad Ali and just crazy Florida stuff. So we'll start with the Florida thing, and then I'll, I'll go in on this Muhammad Ali. But on, on May 22nd, 1931, it was the first time that canned rattlesnake hit the shelves of Florida. That's right. Canned rattlesnake. Now, I don't know if this is still a thing that you can get in Florida. So if I got any people from Florida here, let me know. Are y'all just eating canned rattlesnake incognito? Like not letting the rest of the world know that y'all are doing that? Because that's crazy. I get it if you're out, you know, out rucking around doing some camping and you, you want to eat a rattlesnake, fine. But like going to the supermarket and you got the list and you're like milk, bread, eggs, canned rattlesnake. Like that's absolutely insane to me. But the story of it's cool and it's very Florida. Um, there was a guy by the name of George Kenneth End. And he lived in Florida and there was a pork canning plant that failed. And he had kind of become like a failed farmer. And he noticed that on his property, he had a huge abundance of rattlesnakes. And so I guess, you know, he did what everyone else does when they just see a lot of something. He was like, we got to try to eat that. And so him and his sons just went out, went to town on some rattlesnakes. His wife fried them up and boom. They were like, we got to buy this canning plant and we're going to just pump out canned rattlesnake meat. But apparently the people liked it. They did a, a test feeding at a veterans gathering, which, you know, based off of my experience at the VA, um, I think that lady probably would have loved canned rattlesnake. So this track so far. But um, they did it and they were in, in business for like over 10 years, I believe. But uh, by 1940, they were shipping out 15,000 cans annually, which isn't a ton, I guess. But that's, I mean, that's a lot. That's a lot of canned rattlesnake. I take it back. That's a lot. They have a, a cute little photo of like their, their menu, I guess you could say. Yeah, they got 100% pure rattlesnake oil. Rattlesnake healing ointment. Rattlesnake. What is this? Liniment. Rattlesnake skins. Rattlesnake charms. Rattlesnake leather novelties. Rattlesnake skulls. Museum reproductions. Rattlesnake rattles. Rattlesnake venom. Please write for price list. But it's, I mean, at least this guy was, was using everything. It's, you know, he said, uh, says the meat from a single snake filled only three five ounce tins so not a lot of meat and so he had a bunch of rattlesnake leftovers so he started making shoes belts jackets and all that good stuff so i mean shout out to you bro for using all the rattlesnake and not being wasteful but man that's that's still shocking to me um so his venture ended in 1943 so 12 years um, and he, he died, and I bet you can guess how he died. It was a rattlesnake bite. So, you know, he died doing what he loved. So uh, they, you know, they shut down the plant, but it was eventually purchased by a, a herpetologist who moved it and right next to his venom lab, and he began selling the meat under his own name. So you guys down in Florida really know how to take advantage of the wildlife different breed but shout out florida for being resourceful and being willing to eat the things that really no one else would be so we appreciate you guys even though we make fun of you all the time we appreciate you now we got to get into this man muhammad ali so the date that i chose which was you know a date from this week may 22nd um and that was the day that Muhammad Ali fought his second fight against Sir Henry Cooper. Now, Henry Cooper, I'm, well, to be honest, I'm not a, a huge boxing fan. You know, I know um, 
the big names. I follow it very briefly, but I don't think Henry Cooper was the most commonplace name in the US, but they loved him over in the UK. He was the only boxer to have been awarded a knighthood. So he was Sir Henry Cooper. And his uh, his nickname was actually Our Henry. Because, you know, British people love their Henry. Sorry, you can hear my dog munching on a milk carton in the background. Rodrigo! Hey, cut that out. Um, Anyways, but yeah, this guy... I mean, he was a decent fighter. He uh, fought 55 total fights. He only had 14 losses. He somehow managed to really only fight in England, which I don't know how he pulled out. Only one, two, three, four, five of his fights were outside of England. But he was, you know, he was he was somebody to to, to come after, I guess. If you know, if you're in that the the whole world boxing association. But Muhammad Ali, he fought him once and. Um, kind of controversially beat him his um his trainer did some somewhat sketchy things but that's besides the point so the time that that um cooper and ali fought was right during ali's refusal to be drafted so this was i think he it was the same year actually yeah 1966 is when his uh i guess his eligibility was reclassified for being drafted because originally he wasn't able to be drafted because he had done so poorly in school he was a uh, dyslexic so his reading and writing wasn't up to to par for what the the military expected but once the vietnam war was fully underway and they were just trying to draft everybody they reclassified him and I mean, you know, there's a famous quote, I ain't got nothing against no Viet Cong. And he was refusing to get drafted. And so this was right at the same time that he was supposed to fight Ernie Terrell, I believe. But that fight got canceled because the Illinois Athletic Commission refused to sanction the fight due to, quote unquote, technicalities because Ali was speaking out against the draft. So instead, he was like, well, forget that. I'll just go overseas. So he went to Canada and to Europe where he defended his, his championship belt four different times. And one of those fights was against Henry Cooper. But if uh, if you didn't already guess from you know me saying defended his title, he beat him. Um, and it was a pretty... Uh, dominant win for Ali I guess you could say uh he I guess you shouldn't call it dominant but he, he opened up a, a big cut under Cooper's eye which is actually exactly what happened the first time he beat him but during their first fight Henry Cooper was was kind of giving it to Ali I think he knocked him down once or twice and people were a little worried that if that fight went the distance Ali could lose in the decision but like I said opened up a pretty big cut on him and then that's the exact same thing that happened the second fight. But in that second fight, Ali was, you know, now aware of this guy. I mean, he's not Sir Henry Cooper for nothing. So he knew that he was a heavy hitter and Ali was able to, to stand in and do what he had to do. Like I said, cut him open again, got the TKO and just continued on being the champ. But... Muhammad Ali, like I said, the reason I wanted to talk about Muhammad Ali is because he is my all-time favorite athlete. I mean, this guy was a menace in the ring. And it's crazy that he's considered, you know, one of the all-time greatest boxers, all-time greatest heavyweights, whatever, you know, you can fight me on that or we can argue about that. But, I mean, he's the only heavyweight to claim the title three different times, I believe. I don't think anyone's done that since him. And the craziest thing is, is that Ali missed a huge part of his prime. He didn't fight for almost four years, like three and a half years from 67 to 70, the beginning of 71, I believe, because once he refused to get drafted, 
pretty much every state refused to give him a boxing license. Um, New York stripped him of it. They stripped him of all his titles and basically just tried to like blackball this man and take him out of the fighting game. But it was a, you know, a time of progress and social reform. I mean, social rights, all of this stuff was going on. And so Ali kind of became, I mean, not kind of, he did become a huge figure in that. And it really resonated with people because he is a guy that stuck to what he believed. He basically gave up everything, his career to, to fight the system. Um, and uh, that's, you know, the, there's a very famous summit, the Muhammad Ali summit that came out of this where, you know, he met with Jim Brown and other athletes to, to really decide like if they were going to back him up and obviously they did. And eventually he got, he got uh, all these charges and convictions overturned because he was charged with avoiding the draft. He was sentenced to five years in prison and a $10,000 fine. Uh, luckily he was able to get out on bond and didn't actually have to go to prison, but he had to fight this thing all the way up to the Supreme court and get the Supreme court to rule in his favor for basically saying they didn't like give him all the options to be a conscientious objector. And then, uh, you know, once he got that overturned, my man, Muhammad Ali was back to boxing. One another, one another title. I mean, if you don't know anything about Muhammad Ali, you got to look him up. This man's quotes, some of the best quotes of all time. He was essentially doing spoken word in a lot of his interviews with just these nice flowing rhymes and he was just larger than life huge personality uh i mean he actually says that he kind of like like picked up that persona from when he met gorgeous george the wrestler and so he was like no i want to i want to be like that i want to be this big animated flamboyant personality in all of my my interviews and you know that's kind of where the I am the greatest persona of Muhammad Ali came from. So you got to go check this man out. Go watch some of his videos, some of his highlights, the Muhammad Ali shuffle, the the quick feet. I mean, he's just, he's great. And everything he did for, for just people. I mean, specifically the black community, but he's just, Muhammad Ali is the man. Um, I, you know, I looked up to him a bunch. And so I, I just... I encourage everyone go learn about Muhammad Ali and what he did uh, because I guarantee you your favorite athlete was inspired by by Ali or inspired by someone who was inspired by Ali so go do your research folks but anyways that's all I got time for today so thanks again for listening um get over to wavypack.com we got everything over there my man Cam just dropped his review for J. Cole's The Off Season. So you you know if Cam's out here doing reviews, it was something compelling and worth reviewing. So go give that a read. Give the album a listen. And I'll be back again next week. Peace. Peace.